right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the 306 Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, we are we're we're deep into the playoffs now, folks, and we are uh, we're here. We're excited to uh, reflect on some on a little bit of playoff football. It's episode number 37 for Wednesday, January 19th. We're recording here on the Tuesday, and we're gonna be getting to some divisional round football. I'll be doing a little bit of DFS, and then we'll be looking at uh, dissecting a little bit of playoff football. Uh, so before we get started into the episode, I'll throw it over to the co-host and say hello and see what's keeping them busy here. We'll throw it over to uh, Armin first. Armin, uh, how we doing? Hey, doing good. Uh, enjoying the warm weather that we had that's unseasonally warm. You never get uh, zeros or pluses in January here in Saskatchewan, or at least northern Saskatchewan. And we got them this weekend, so it was uh, it was a beautiful weekend and I actually got to do some stuff. It was it was awesome to be outside. Yeah, no complaints for sure. Uh, Zach, how about yourself? I guess you guys, uh, it looks like you guys got a lot more snow even this last couple of days than we did. And I thought we had a heck of a lot of snow here, but. The last couple of days, it's been not too, too bad. Uh, yesterday evening and throughout the night, it was windy as all hell, but uh, not a, not a lot of snow. Um, not as much as we've had in the past, but definitely um, enough snow and rain to make the roads a little bit slippery this morning yeah the um i saw the old highway hotline and the videos of highway. man it looks like an absolute mess out there (laughs) there was that one picture on facebook making the rounds of uh the highway just outside of moose jaw i'm not sure which highway that is but it looked like uh looked like a scene from uh the walking dead just cars scattered left (laughs) right and center yeah, there was a couple good videos of the highways down south. It looks like Regina's getting a lot worse to this than we are, that's for sure. Yeah. But, man, oh, man, it's uh, – I mean, this this winter's got to be one of the most bizarre winters I think we've had. It's been cold. It's been windy. It's rained. The amount of snow, especially here in PA, the amount of snow, it's the most snow I've seen. And, man, I can't even remember the last couple – last year we've had this much snow. But it's been a bizarre winter. But um, I, I – I didn't even get to enjoy that warm weather that much, unfortunately, because I, I had master's classes, so I was on the computer all weekend. So my fiance gets home and, and I'm making lunch, and she goes, man, it is so nice outside. I could just sit outside all day. I'm like, oh, it must be nice. I'm on my computer all day staring <laughs> at the window. and But uh, I got to enjoy it Sunday, so, so I can't complain too much. Um, so before we get started here into the episode, um, obviously it's playoff football here. We had the 306 Charity uh, Bracket Challenge. And big thanks to everybody that got into that. We actually, I was quite surprised with the amount of people we've had in. There was um, quite a few people got in nice and early. And then uh, and then Saturday night slash Sunday morning, they were coming in fast and fierce. Everybody making sure they're getting their brackets in. Uh, sorry, no. Sunday fr- morning. Sorry, check that. Check that. Sorry. Friday night slash Saturday morning. Check that. After the Saturday games were over, everybody sending their brackets in. I would have sent another one if I knew He's that. Was corrupt. Allowed, yeah. No, no wonder we got so many perfect brackets. <laughs> um, speaking of perfect brackets, uh, I put out a thing on social media uh, actually just before we started recording here about our top ten brackets. Uh, technically, we have kind of a top eleven. There's one extra person that's tied in that uh, five correct spot, uh, but we have five perfect brackets so far. So. Uh, congratulations to Robbie Gates, Joey Carrier, Brady Weileman, Lucas Wells, and then myself are uh, the five so far perfect brackets. And then we have six other individuals that just have one loss. So, so far, so good on the old bracket challenge. Obviously, the top three are taking own jerseys. So 
best of luck to everybody. I mean, there's lots of football left, so those perfect brackets could get busted relatively quick here. That's for sure. Um, March Madness has taught me that in a hurry. So um, I'm what's that? Somebody, you saying something, Herman? No, oh, I just chuckled a little bit there. Sorry. Yeah, I, that's a that's a mercy laugh. I think is what that was. <laughs> um, but before we get, I just wanted to say congratulations to those few so far, and obviously um, we'll be paying attention to some divisional rounds here. I think there's going to be some really, really good football games this upcoming weekend. Uh, unfortunately, I, I was just looking at my schedule, man. I don't, I'm not going to be able to watch a single second of the Saturday football games, which is super, super disappointing. I have to ref in Flin Flon. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with that Flin Flon drive, it is like just like it's probably four and a half hours from PA, ballpark ish. But as soon as you get past Smeaton, uh, you have zero cell coverage the rest of the way. So I can't even stream it. It's like, I'll get to Smeaton, lose service. I'll get to Flin Flon. I'll find out the scores from the first game. And then I'm going to ref, miss the, <laughs> miss the second game, and then drive home with no cell coverage. So I can't even watch Saturday. So I'll be, I'll be dialed in on the Sunday games. But, but they're going to be uh, there'll be some good football games. Looking at the uh, insiders and headliners a little bit. Obviously, we know the AFC matchups now. Titans will be taking on the Bengals. Uh, Chiefs will be taking on the Bills. NFC, the Packers versus 49ers, and then Bucks versus Rams. So we're we're gonna have a, some some really good football. We'll get into that a little bit here um, in our in our props picks, and we look at um, who are who are gonna be picking those games. But uh, not much insiders and headlines to talk about. Obviously, um, got a little bit of chop day continued. I'm gonna call it. Uh, the Texans ended up firing head coach David Culley after just one season, and Vegas ended up firing GM. Mike Mayock uh, after a three-year stint there in Vegas. So other than that, we don't have a whole heck of a lot to talk about. The one I'm interested in a lot is to see now that Vegas has cleaned house essentially. Now we look at from their head coaching position and the GM now what they're going to be doing in the in the draft season because that's a team that's always been kind of off the beaten path come draft season and they kind of have their eyes on a guy and they take them nice and early to make sure they get their guys and Sometimes it pans out and most of which it hasn't looked great, but I'm very curious to see now how that team drafts this upcoming season and see if it was, I guess, more or less the two or, or if it was uh, a collective, but any, any, anything to talk about those two there, gentlemen. I read something interesting the other day online that uh, suggested with Mike Mayock leaving uh, Vegas. Um, it may be an indicator that, uh, They've set their sights on on Harbaugh um, because one of his conditions to return to the NFL is reportedly the the GM hat as well as the head coaching responsibility. Hmm. So having a team that's without a head coach and a GM um, would make that team um, very attractive to Harbaugh potentially. I wonder what that means for Derek Carr. Cause I did see some reports there that Derek Carr basically said he was going to make his decision on returning, depending on who their head coach was, what he wants to do. If he's going to, wants to stick around Vegas, ask to leave kind of thing. It's all depending on who they, who they bring in that head coach. So, I mean, maybe, maybe he's interested in Harbaugh. Maybe that's the, the straw that breaks the camel's back for Carr. or we'll, we'll see what happens there, but uh, that would be, that'd be, I, do you think he come regardless if you think he comes to Vegas or not, do you think he returns to the NFL? Uh, also, uh, um, uh, a week or two ago, he hired the defensive line coach from Notre Dame to fill a similar capacity at Michigan. So on the one hand, he's still filling out, uh, 
a Michigan uh, coaching staff, but um, last year at Michigan, they, they had him take a pay cut and then he, he came through in a big way this year for him. So, you know, he's kind of in the driver's seat, I think, as far as calling the shots for his future. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I'm interested to see what happens with the Texans. Like they, man, they did, they did, they did call so dirty. <laughs> like yeah. what'd you expect? Like you were, you had an absolute dumpster fire train wreck from before the season even started. And I think by all accounts, Houston definitely showed out more than I think team than, than people kind of expected that team to. And you might have something there with Davis Mills, right? He, he actually looked pretty promising towards the end of the season. Brandon Cooks was a top uh, top twelve receiver again this year. Um, like, there's not much they could have done. Then they had some big W's, and then they're like, "No, see you later." <laughs> I don't know if that's just because of maybe some of the coaching prospects that are out there. But and I mean, by coaching prospects, I mean <laughs> Flores. But um, well, we'll we'll see what happens there too. But I think that was kind of tough. It was a no win situation for him. I definitely thought he was going to get more than one year, but. Eh. It is what it is. That's why it's the NFL, I guess. Pretty cutthroat business. So. That, that makes it look worse, though, on the, the ownership, I think, and, and those guys rather than the and the GM rather than the head coach, right? Like, wow, that's a, that's a quick turnaround on a guy. Yeah. Sorry about your luck. Yeah, did, and, did, did what he could with what he had. Yeah, and uh, what were they saying? That it was a difference in uh, – philosophy or something philosophy like that. yeah and like i saw people bringing up a valid point of like shouldn't that have been brought up in the interview process like not even a year ago when you guys hired him like you should know where your philosophy is at and it, i don't think the philosophy changes too much in one year i don't know well and the other thing too is like it's pretty well known that chopping day is that monday or tuesday or whatever it is after the season's over right like i guess It'd be the yeah. Monday, right? No, Tuesday, sorry. The Tuesday after the season's over, that's chopping day. Like, it's pretty well known that if you're either getting the, if you're getting the axe or getting the axe that day. And then they, uh, the reporters are asking Houston, like, yeah, so, like, are, are you guys moving on? What are you doing? I know we, we need some more time to reflect on what we have. It's like, well, what, what do you mean? They ended up thinking five days and firing them five days later. But so they're like, some of the memes, some of the jokes were like, yeah, Houston can't even get the fire day, right? Like, <laughs> So I had a good chuckle over that one, but um, I guess heading in uh, outside of from insiders and headliners and into the weekly recap, I'm just going to reflect on a little bit of the, uh, the wild card games here, and then we'll get into our studs of the week. So um, <laughs> I, I wrote down a couple of the, uh, a couple of the uh, major events, I guess, from the weekends for us to talk about. So the first one I think let's discuss is the Dallas finish against San Francisco uh, so that finish ended up being pretty wild because Dallas was down by two scores. Um, and then San Francisco throws a pick Dallas scores. And then they ended up getting the ball back uh, shortly after to try and march the field to win. And if you didn't see this game, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the way this finished was quite bizarre because San Francisco was just giving up the sideline like crazy. Dallas had no timeouts. They need to march the field they need to score. And they were picking up 15, 20 yards at a crack. And kept getting out of bounds, kept getting out of bounds. And then he, I mean, even the announcer is like, well, what is happening? Like, you got to run a funnel defense, put put your corners right on the um, on the out of bounds line and just funnel them in. And they get two plays, three plays, the game's over. But they kept getting out of bounds. And then with about ballpark, I think, was it 30 seconds left, 20 seconds left? They call a QB draw 
Dak rushes for like 30 yards and then they can't spike the ball in time. But I think the whole chaos, they line up the whole offensive line. Dak gets under center, but the official has to touch the ball. The official has to spot the ball, but the official couldn't get them. So he's trying to pile through the players, eventually touches the ball, gets it set, O-line snaps it. They spike it, but by that point, the clock had already expired. So it was absolute chaos. And then all hell breaks loose from there. Like fans are throwing stuff on the field. Fans are throwing stuff at the officials. Dak is going into the press conference saying, good, I I appreciate the fans throwing stuff at the ref, basically, obviously paraphrasing, but it was along those lines. Like it was an absolute (laughs) mess. But any takeaways from that one there, boys? Oh, you know I have one. You can go first, Zach. You can go first. That was the the most on-brand game for both teams um, imaginable. Uh, Jimmy G, when things are going great, they're they're fantastic. But uh, he always backs up a couple of good plays with a a mind-numbing interception, and that's that's exactly what happened. And then, I mean, Mark Mike McCarthy's. He's nothing if not terrible at uh, time management and clock management. And we saw firsthand, like, what are you, what are you thinking? You have 14 seconds left and you're marching the field and either you call or at the very least you okay a QB draw with no timeouts left. Like that's, that's Mike McCarthy in a, in a nutshell there. So very on brand for both teams, I think. Even if he pulls um, up five yards earlier, though, like that's enough time that adds two, three more seconds that you'd be yeah. able to snap the ball. So you're throwing a 30-yard Hail Mary instead of a 25-yard Hail Mary, you know? Like, what's an extra five yards? Uh, Dan Orlovsky does a really good job um, Monday mornings just doing some film breakdown out of his living room, it seems, or out of his office <laughs> um, on his laptop. And, and his big thing on Monday morning was like, like what, are we, what are we doing here? Um, you're, you're taught from a very young age, the, the official, the, the umpire, whoever always has to spot the ball. Um, and if that, ne- if that didn't stick in their heads, you know, a month and a half, two months ago, uh, Chase Claypool got roasted mercilessly all over social media for doing yep. the same thing. Big time. Um, there's countless videos of Fitzgerald, uh, doing the exact opposite sprinting half the width of the field to give the ref the football so we could spot it in that same situation. So um, I just, there's no excuse for what happened. I don't think um, other than uh, the moment got to them, panicked uh, nerves, whatever, just totally normal in that situation, I think, but we just got the best of them that time. Before we go to Armin's take here, man, I want to hear what he has to say. I do want to mention something that you mentioned that Claypool um, I noticed something and actually it didn't even get picked up by the broadcasters, but in that Pittsburgh uh, KC game, he ended up having a pretty good catch. He didn't do much in that game, but he had a, a nice reception for a first down. And then he gets up, drops the ball, starts walking back to the huddle or jogging back to the huddle. And then he goes, you can see something ticks in his head. He goes, oh crap, goes back, picks the ball up, walks it down the line and hands it to the official. And I'm like, oh, there we go. There's a guy that gets, it, you know, like he's learning from his mistake. Even that in that one, there's no time crunch, right? He's just whatever you can drop the official picks it up, which happens all the time. But he goes, no, goes out the effort, picks it up, hands it to the make sure he goes backtracks, hands it to the official. It's like, all right, there's a guy that's trying to make up for his mistakes. And it kind of went, I was hoping that maybe the announcers are gonna pick that up and kind of give the guy kudos because you know it's 
learning from your mistake. That's obviously what we talked about that whole time when that in, in that instance, but I'm off, I'm off, off topic a little bit, but I like the fact that you mentioned the clay books. It kind of teed that up and I forgot about that, but I want to hear what Armin has to say about this uh, Dak situation. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to start off by just saying like, you got the rules right now that are in place. You got to play within the rules. Dallas made a, a dumb decision in knowing what the rules are. But my take is, is like, it sucks that your game can be decided by the speed of the official. Um, it, it blows my mind that in the NFL, it's that way that it, it has to get to the ref and the ref is running behind the play. We, we know the refs aren't the fastest people in the world. So why, why do we have it rely on the official having to get to the ball when a team can be set and ready to go before the time expires? Now, the solution to that um, is playing more like the CFL, where if you're American and you're listening to this and you don't know the CFL at all, what happens in the CFL is once the play is dead and the whistle goes, the clock stops. But then as soon as the ball is spotted, the, the ref will wave his arm after he spots the ball and the clock will get going again. Okay? You, you'd make that that change it might increase some time that guys have on drives it might make tom brady more dangerous with a minute left right those kind of guys but don't isn't every what everybody wants to see is great offense and big comebacks anyways and it sucks seeing a game end like that because a team was yes they know that the the ref has to touch the ball yes they know that they they shouldn't have called the qb draw that they should have passed it outside and, and got out of bounds but it sucks that it is uh it is limited to that the game's over even though you could actually get a playoff your team yourself but the ref is is a little bit too slow if the ref was like two seconds faster they get another play right so yeah. that's that's my take on it. and i know it might not be the most popular opinion but uh, that's, I think it would, it would improve the game a bit, I think. My biggest takeaway, and this might be my, uh, my referee bias, he was, I, I'm so curious how much the NFL is going to find him for going on record. And he did, I just saw literally just before we started recording, he put out a, a thing saying, you know what, like in my emotions got the best, man, I'm apologizing. I shouldn't have said that, blah, 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 blah. Which every player does once they get caught saying or doing something they shouldn't do, they go out and put an apology. But I'm so curious on how much the NFL is going to find him because that sets a dangerous precedent if they don't go after him and find him or whatever. They're not going to suspend him, but you got to find the guy because if all of a sudden, just because your emotions are high, you say, yeah, you know what? Let's start throwing crap at refs. Like that sets a dangerous precedent for other press conferences. So that was, or as soon as I saw that, I was like, there's no way Dak said, like I'm a Dak fan. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like, there's no way he said that. My referee bias, I'm like, oh man, my blood started boiling right away. I'm like, there's no way he said that. But now yeah, here we are talking about it. So from a, from a non-ref perspective, I agree. You can't be saying that about the ref. Like it's one thing to like criticize a call a little bit, maybe at the end of the game, but uh, to actually be like, yeah, I'm glad they threw stuff at the refs. That's, yeah, that, that's got to be squashed right then and there because then you're going to have people throwing stuff at refs all the time. My uh, my 2014 Detroit Lions playoff run just snickered as soon as the Dallas Cowboys are complaining <laughs> about bad officiating. I'm like, go back and check the tape. Like, come on. My 2014 tears are, 
are sitting here helping me grin a little bit. But, um, but that's the thing too with what uh what I was saying too is like the ref should not impact the game. So anything you can do to make it so that a ref isn't impacting the game, that it's more about the players than the ref, I think is is better for the game. I think this is a pretty good segue here, talking about officiating and talking about impacting the game. Uh, the Cincinnati game, uh, I was driving to refing and we had the game on in the car and okay. Joe Burrow running to the sideline. Looks like he's jumping out of bounds and throws a touchdown to uh, to Tyler Boyd. Uh, I talked about any any of the Cincinnati Bengals wide receivers could get a touchdown. As soon as I saw it was Boyd, I was pretty pumped about that one there for the old TFS lineup. But as the ball was in the air, I was like, man, I could have swore I heard a whistle. Like I, I thought I heard the ref blow the play dead. And the ball's in the air, touchdown, and some all the players are kind of looking around like, what, what just happened? And then the refs talked about it. I'm like, well, if that is an inadvertent whistle, that touchdown doesn't count. They got to redo that play. Because Zach, were you with us, the coaching staff, when that happened to us in Saskatoon? We were uh, we did an onside kick and we were, we covered it, but there was an inadvertent oh. whistle, so we had to do it again. And that was that was either in the playoffs or that was like the game before the playoffs that would have uh, was determining seeding. It was um, an important game. I can't remember what it was, but it was yeah. an important game. Yeah, so it it bit us in the ass. I'll never forget that rule. But I'm like inadvertent whistle. They that that doesn't count. They have to do it again. And um, they got together and talked about it and they're like, no touchdown stands. So I was like, this is so bizarre. I was like, maybe the NFL has different rules. I'm like, I don't think so. Get to the rink. And then all of a sudden I see on social media, it's like just talking about it like crazy. So I'm like, Oh, obviously it shouldn't have counted. Um, now Cincinnati ends up winning by, by a score. The Las Vegas threw the pick there to be able to go to overtime with 12 seconds left. But um, first of all, do you think that really had any impact on that game? I know, Cincinnati kind of maybe but put the brakes on a little bit because they had a pretty good lead. Um, they weren't playing as aggressive, but do you think that had an impact in the game? Or and do you think uh, Vegas has something to be upset about? I mean, I, I wasn't watching that game, um, but uh, could either of you tell me if that was like fourth down or, or even third down? Um, off the top of my head, I don't even remember. I feel like it was a third down. Um, let me see right. if I can pull it up. Anyways, you can share your opinion at either one of you. I'm trying to find this. I'll see if I can uh, <laughs> see if I can pull hey. this up here. Like something like that is so hard to like, what, what do you do in that situation? You know what I mean? Like you, you blow the whistle inadvertently and then half the field or half the players here because it's a, a faint whistle. Not, not a wholehearted whistle. Like, I don't know. Um, I've only refed a few games of junior high school basketball, so <laughs> I'm definitely not the person to ask, that's for sure. Well, here's the thing, though, is like you can hear it clearly on the replay in the video. It's loud. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, like, I, I went back and I looked at it because I wasn't paying too close attention to the game, and I thought the controversial call was that. Was he out of bounds or not? It was on third and, and four. Then, uh, third and, and four then at I, Las Vegas, 10. And then I looked at it and I found out that it, it was a whistle. And so I was paying attention to it and it's pretty loud. Like you can clearly hear it in the video. Um, it's, it's tough because I don't think it impacted that play, but in the end, letting that play stand does impact the game. Pretty the huge. D, the right? DB chasing boy does pull up, but I think he's far enough away. It didn't matter. Like, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Like, like, you can see him pull up, but it, I, 
Yeah, it's tough. But regardless, the rules are the rules, right? Like if it's yeah. if it's if an inadvertent whistle happens, then you gotta redo the play. So it should have been third and four from the ten once again, which I mean it sucks. Like at that point, like I'm gonna pull this back up unless I closed it. Um the score at that point, I think Cincinnati was up by quite a bit. Yeah, they were up, I think, multiple scores. I'm looking here. It does make it interesting because the Bengals did win by seven. Yeah. So even if they kick that field goal, you know, they're they're down four points and and the Raiders were right there in field goal range at the end to maybe tie the game. Exactly. But they like had they're, to push it like, for that touchdown. They threw that pick on like the 20 yard line. They'd be kicking a field goal, it'd be going overtime, right? Right. If so everything I, went the same it, from that point forward. You know, hindsight's always 2020. We're we're kind of just arguing yeah. for content sake at this point, but just I mean, if I'm a Vegas fan, I'd be a little bit rattled too. But like we talk about one play, right? Like there's a lot of one plays. There's there's a lot of plays in a football game where does one play truly make the difference, right? Like even in that Dallas game, even if they snap the ball, you get one more shot from 35 yards or 30 yards out. You know, like the likelihood of you making that is probably unlikely, but everybody's like, oh, that's what lost us the football game. It's like, that's one play. That's one play. What- yeah. What lost Dallas the football game was wasting the entire uh, time clock after that fake punt, <laughs> standing there like a bunch of idiots. Yeah, not wrong. Indianapolis Colts style with the receiver <laughs> snapping it to the punter. Like, <laughs> like what are we oh. doing here? Like, I, I think the couple- NFL, the NFL did make a statement though. Like, um, I've read on numerous. Uh, reports that Jerome Boger, Boger, the the referee, the head official, his crew won't be doing any okay. more games. Yeah, they're toast. They got they the got the like, <laughs> I think I think that that says quite a bit. I think. Yeah, that they messed up, and it shouldn't. It was one that they shouldn't have messed up on, right? You know, it's not it's not a judgment call. That's a pretty black and white. Did you blow your whistle? Yes. All right, let's do this over again. There's no, there's no gray area on that. I kind of blew my whistle, but uh, a couple other pieces here. Uh, I talked about Big Ben. Uh, this is his last game. I thought maybe he'd have a little retirement speech after that, but I guess we're going to have to wait to see if that is t- uh, truly going to be his last game or not. Uh, a couple of the teams there had a, a tough little go, Pittsburgh, Philly, New England, Arizona. They all kind of got the, uh, the, the rough end of the stick there, I'll call it. They had a tough go. Uh, and then the last one, I know I'm going to tee this one up for Armin because I know he's going to be uh, really pumped to talk about this one. Cam Akers, like we need to take a second here to truly understand how incredible this was. In the preseason, he tore his Achilles, or not preseason, I guess it was just before the preseason. He tore his Achilles, which is really a career ender for most for most players, especially a running back. To be able to come back at all in your career with a torn Achilles is incredible. But to come back in the calendar year in the same season and to put up the the offensive numbers he did. And I know those numbers should have been even more because how many times they get called back on penalties, but man, oh man, is that impressive Cam Akers. And I think the buy low window uh, for Cam Akers, unfortunately, is going to be slammed pretty shut. I, I was trying to make a push for him in our leagues there uh, a couple months back. Um, unfortunately, didn't get the deal done and it, it ain't happening now because if you watch that football game on Monday night, he was electric. Yeah, Cam Akers in, in our league, I, I tried to buy him right after the injury too, Jordan. And uh, he, uh, the guy who owns him was asking for two firsts or Nick Chubb and a first. And and that was right after the injury. So 
I know you ain't getting him now that he's uh, back and healthy. I just but, about had that two. I think it was two seconds and a third, but he wanted the second to be a first, a first, second, and a third. I just wasn't willing to do it. Now it's like, oh, that'd have been pretty cheap for Cal Akers. But yeah. anyways, I want to hear what you think. Uh, yeah, it it is pretty incredible. Um, that Achilles, like everything goes through that. It's incredible Cam Akers coming back from that. The Achilles tendon, huge tendon, everything goes through it. You, uh, you tear that all the way, and it, uh, it ends up becoming like you can't even walk without it, right? So, um, he got injured in July or August, something like that, and to come back as quick as he did is is incredible. Like the announcers were in awe all night long. Just that's all they talked about was Cam Akers, how fast he came back. And it, it is awe-inspiring because, like, not only is he back, but he's still just as shifty and just as explosive as before the injury. Oh, he carried the just, load. Like, he carried the yeah. load in that game. And yeah. downfield a lot. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's it's incredible. I've, I've never seen anything like it before. It's You got to give kudos to him with how hard he must have worked to to get back at at this level this quickly and he must have some good really good doctors too and physios and stuff that are just have him just perfect because i don't think we'll ever see someone come back that fast from an achilles tendon injury imagine the money that doctor and that surgeon's gonna make like just put that on your resume look at cam Akers, like unbelievable (laughs) yeah i really really want to get like a chunk of his salary for the year oh yeah well you should (laughs) playoff bonus get him back in time like I really wanted to put him as my stud of the week, but his numbers weren't like, his numbers were pretty good. Like they were like really actually like, honestly, they're pretty good. They weren't, but they, they could have been unbelievable. So I was going to put him as an honorary mention because that was uh, quite the game he had uh, last night. Yeah. But, uh, speaking of studs of the week, I will kick this off here with my stud of the week. And uh, mine is going to be Dawson Knox, the tight end from the Buffalo Bills. And he had himself quite the game. Um, especially found himself in the end zone quite frequently. He put up 23.4 points um, with five receptions, 89 yards and two touchdowns. And if it was 89 and a half yards, uh, he would have had three scores. He found himself inches shy of the end zone for a third score in the day, uh, but still quite an impressive uh, day regardless. Uh, he ended up having on FanDuel, they track the percentages and what your value is based on what you spent and what you're producing. Uh, he had a very incredible 3.9 times his actual value on FanDuel. Uh, so for a, for a total of $6,000, you could have had Dawson Knox in your starting lineup, and he could have put out 3.9 times the value of what he was uh, what he was basically projected to produce. So Dawson Knox had himself quite the game um, and basically helped uh, project their help push, I guess, the Buffalo Bills into the next round. So my side of the week is Dawson Knox. Zach, I know I'm just seeing yours here. Uh, I think this uh, this TZF well for yours. The the Buffalo Bills did not need any more help to push them across the New England Patriots. <laughs> Holy smokes, that was, a that was not fun to watch. Um, it made me feel a little bit better when uh, a few other teams really sucked this weekend, knowing that the Pats weren't the only one that took it. But uh, yeah, it wasn't fun to watch, not as a Pats fan, uh, which makes this stud of the week all the worse. Um, my stud was Josh Allen, the the number one scorer on the week. 
Um, he put up 308 uh, passing yards, five touchdowns, and 66 yards rushing. Um, this just kind of goes with the trend that I've been uh, kind of believing in the past couple of weeks that the Bills are the team to beat, uh, at the very least, in the AFC um, and that when Josh Allen is playing like he was on Saturday, throwing the ball and running the ball, they are going to be a very difficult team to beat, um, especially when the, the supporting cast contributes the way they did. Um, I'm sure the Bills faithful, the Bills fans, they rely and account on, on Diggs and maybe Sanders to a lesser extent each week, but they they likely don't count on the likes of Dawson Knox and Devin Singletary for the type of production that they put up. He had a great week too, Singletary. Yes, he did. He's another. We'll we'll throw another honorable mention yeah. <laughs> as well too. Um, Armin, let's hear yours. Yeah, I went with another tight end, um, but I went with the KC tight end, Travis Kelsey. Y'all know him. Y'all love him. Um, he, he gave you your value and a little bit, he wasn't like Dawson Knox where he way outperformed his value, but, uh, he, he definitely gave you a little bit of an edge. If you put him in, um, he got you 23.4 points. What I found impressive about Kelsey, um, wasn't necessarily that he put up monster numbers. He put up a decent day. Um, but he took over when the chiefs needed him. Um, that game was looking like. It might be a trap game for KC and Pittsburgh was kind of hanging around there and Kelsey turned on the jets and, and put, uh, put KC up pretty good uh, and, and got him rolling to, to get the blowout win in the end of the game. Um, I'm going to throw another honorable mention out there too, to the Los Angeles Ram defense. My goodness. Was it at halftime? I think they were at negative three offensive yards. I think um, Los Angeles Rams, if I, I, I just closed it, so I, I wish I would have kept it open long enough. But I think the Rams were like the number five point getter on the week, like their defense. It was it was impressive. They were top ten for sure. So honorable mention to the Rams defense because they came to play. There was a lot of question marks about their, their ability to make some noise in the playoffs, and they Arizona caught themselves on the wrong end of that one, that's for sure. I mean, it must have been Christmas again, though, because uh, Kyler Murray gave him a present all wrapped up. Oh, did he ever. Night, so yeah, not, <laughs> what uh, a decision possession. to challenge Actually, that reception. Actually, two possessions in a row. 28-yard reception. A.J. Green caught a pop on that, too. What a hit. But they challenged it because they, they ruled it as a reception and then a fumble, but it came out of bounds, so it would have been first down for Arizona. They challenged it, which made it become third and, I don't know, like 15 from the one. And then, then he threw the pick the next play. So, man, Sean McVay looking like a genius going two for two <laughs> on the old challenge flag there because uh, he served up a pick six with that challenge. So, looked like a genius. Um, I guess talking about looking like a genius, uh, if you found your way down to Limitless Gear and you bought yourself a nice comfy sweater in that cold weather, yeah, you'll be definitely uh, won't be as cold because I'll tell you that stuff is as comfy and as warm as it gets. Um, I was even actually out with that warm weather. I was even wearing my limitless hat. Didn't even need to wear my limitless too. Cause it was so, so nice out there on Saturday and Sunday. But, um, if you want to be a genius, find yourself on central Ave, uh, limitless gear. I'm telling you, it's a brand about betting yourself and believing that possibilities are endless. If you set your mind to it, 
Uh, I know uh, Cody will take care of you down there. He's got awesome selection, awesome product. And uh, I mean, if you look around, especially here in Prince Albert, if you walk around, every second person's wearing Limus gear. So uh, I think that speaks for itself for, for product and, um, and, and obviously how awesome it is. So uh, find yourself down there and uh, Limus gear. I can't say enough about it. So uh, tease us up here, fellas, into a little bit of playoff pickums. We got four games left to choose from here. Uh, I'll start. We got the tens. Uh, we got the Tennessee one versus Cincinnati four, one versus four matchup here. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Tennessee. I'm gonna stick with my bracket. Uh, me and Armin talked about this a little bit. How how do you bet against Cincinnati right now? They're looking good, but I'm uh, I just I'm sick with my bracket. I think Tennessee coming off the bye. I'm really hoping Henry's available and he's going to be playing in this game because that's just another added layer of offense for Tennessee. And um, I'm, I'm going to go with the one seed. I think this is the, this might be the, the most hated on one seed and the most people that are predicting Tennessee to get upset, I think, as the one seed. But <laughs> I'm going to put a little bit of respect on their name. They earned that one seed, and I'm, and I'm going to take them here for this game. Armin, what do you got? You know uh... – I am sticking to the betting on Cincinnati rolling here. Um, if Derrick Henry plays, definitely going Cincinnati. Or if Derrick Henry doesn't play, definitely going Cincinnati here. Um, if Henry plays, that's going to be a lot closer of a game. But um, I just think the way Cincinnati's been rolling offensively, you 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 need a pretty good defense to to stop him. And I don't think Tennessee's that defense. Um, and I don't think they have an explosive enough offense to keep up with Cincinnati if they explode in this game. So keeping with Cincinnati. And, and Zach, what, who do you got? So uh, and take parts of what both you guys said and kind of make it my own. Um, I am taking the Titans. Um, Jordan, I really liked what you said about uh, them being one of the most disrespected one seeds in, in recent memory. Um, I couldn't agree more. Um, they were, uh, they were definitely a sexy team at the start of the year. Um, a team that uh, I think a lot of people kind of earmarked as a potential uh, Super Bowl favorite, but all these injuries that they've occurred or that they've um, came across uh, throughout the regular season, um, I think kind of added to the team, being doubted in a lot of people's eyes, but uh, despite, you know, set, setting a record for most players dressed and started, I believe uh, in an NFL season, they're, they're still the one seed. Um, I think having this buy really, really helped them. Um, now it looks like they might have their initial complement of skill players. They might have AJ Brown and Julio Jones. Um, and they also might have Derrick Henry behind center or rather behind uh, Tannehill. Uh, no more do they need to rely on the likes of uh, Foreman, Hilliard, Chester Rogers, Racy McMath, um, Des Fitzpatrick, Nick Westbrook, Akine. Um, I swear these are all real people that exist and play in the NFL. Um, like This is a team that I think has their weapons back and they're, they're ready to roll. Um, and I think they have a good enough defense to probably slow down the, the Bengals. I think they're still, um, at least for a total yards per game standpoint, they're, they're number 10 in the league. So still a decent defense. Um, and over the last three games, yeah, they're still 10 overall in the league over the last three games. So 
solid enough defense that should uh, at least slow down the the Cincinnati skill positions. If Mike Va- if Mike Vrabel doesn't win Coach of the Year, my goodness, uh, poor guy. When, yeah, at the very least, he's winning mustache. We know that's already in the bag. <laughs> yeah, give the man some dues here. Um, KC two versus Buffalo three. I I've already pumped Buffalo's tires enough. So I think you guys can kind of anticipate where I'm going here. Uh, once again, sticking with my bracket, uh, Buffalo's just, I mean, they got as close to a bye week as you possibly could get in that last game. Uh, no shade at you, Zach, but I mean, you watch the game. Uh, they could have just benched their starters, uh, in the entire second half and they had been all right. So Buffalo catching fire at the right time. Uh, you talked about their weapons rolling, uh, especially in their uh, secondary and tertiary weapons, getting the job done. Uh, going into uh, KC is going to be a tough task, but uh, I think Buffalo is up for it, and I think it's going to be an upset. So I'm going to take the upset here of the three versus two, and uh, KC can pack their bags. They, the first half showed a lot of weakness against a team of Pittsburgh that everybody thought was going to get walked all over, uh, and then they had to uh, turn on the Jets a little bit. So if they come out to a slow start like that, I think Buffalo is going to jump all over them. So I'm, I'm taking Buffalo in this one. Armin? I am uh, going opposite of you. I'm taking KC in this one. I, uh, I truly believe that uh, when KC puts their mind to it, they're one of the better defensive teams in, in the league to go along with that creative offense that they got an unstoppable duo of Hill and Kelsey. Um, I think uh, – it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a fun game to watch. But in the end, uh, just uh, watch uh, the team that's been there and done that more often uh, find a way to win in that tight game over the team that is a little bit uh, younger and just getting their playoff footing in, in the NFL. And Zach. So it kills me to say this. Um, I am taking the Bills. Um I have the winning the Super Bowl, so God damn it, they better win the divisional round. Um, <laughs> looking at their offense, um, like both teams are, are top five offenses. Uh, KC, three in the league in uh, yards per game at 401. Uh, Buffalo is number five in the league in yards per game at 387. That's only a difference of 14 yards per game. That's just like a simple reception per game. Uh, defensively, that's where the big difference is. Buffalo is the number one t- team in the league in uh, yards allowed per game, giving up only 274 yards. Well, the Chiefs are giving up uh, nearly 100 more yards, 362 um, yards per game. So I think that favors the Bills. I will say, though, um, the Arrowhead Stadium seems like a pretty uh, volatile stadium for the opposition, so that could play into it. Um, I think the Bills have enough experience now, kind of being their second run through the playoffs. So uh, regardless of what happens, it should be a really good game for both teams. Um, like JC mentioned, both teams, whether they know it or not, had a buy this weekend, so should be a good game. Um, and this is a revenge game for KC too. Like, what did Buffalo beat them 38 20 or 31 20 or something like that? Yeah, they put or, their face in it. Yeah, they put their nose in the in the dirt a little bit. There week, it was week earlier. five too. It was right when everybody was like, Oh, KC reign is over. It was, I think it was pretty early on in the season, if I remember correctly. But 
Yeah, revenge, revenge game for KC. So I throw a little narrative in there too, maybe shake things up. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> Buffalo's got the edge on them for this season. So we'll see. Um, now we got uh, NFC matchups here. Green Bay one versus San Francisco six. San Francisco with the upset there. So uh, reseeding, they will take on Green Bay um, in this matchup here. Um, we've, we've seen what Tom or Tom Brady, geez. We've seen what uh, Aaron Rodgers does against San Francisco. Uh, he always, when he plays against San Francisco, he's always got a chip on his shoulder there especially now in a playoff matchup in cold weather. Uh, those warm guys from California are going to have to head down to Green Bay there and what's going to look like a, a really, really cold matchup as per usual when we play football here in, in late January. Uh, so Green Bay and, uh, and Aaron Rodgers, I think, are going to get it done against San Francisco. So I will take Green Bay in this matchup. Armin? Yeah, I agree. Uh, Green Bay, um, I have them going to winning the Super Bowl. Uh, like Zach said with Buffalo, so I better have them going through the, the division um, semifinal or division round here. Um, they're they're the better team all around. You know they they throw the ball better, they run the ball better. They I think their defense is better. You can correct me if I'm wrong there, but I'm pretty sure it is. Um, so just the better team, and they're 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 gonna win. And Zach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah nothing uh nothing too sexy here um chalk it up kind of a yeah kind of a chalk it's uh i i don't think the the uh the niners really stand a chance they uh they better hope that uh rogers can maybe get covid again or something <laughs> and uh, not play because uh with uh Werner and uh, Bosa both possibly being out. That defense is missing two of the better players in the league. Um, it's it could get ugly, I think. Yeah, I yeah, it's this this one has the capability of being a massive blowout. I think, especially I like the fact that you mentioned there the Bosa point. Like that's where San Francisco's defense started softening up against Dallas, and we can see Dallas start chipping away when Bosa exited. So. I can only imagine what uh, Rogers is going to be able to do with, with extra time in the pocket. It's going to, it could be dangerous. Um, With this next pick here, I'm going to just reiterate to what Armin and Zach have already said. Uh, I have this team winning the Super Bowl, so uh, they better get out of the divisional round and and they got a tough task doing that here. Uh, I'm going to take the Rams against Tampa Bay. We got Tampa Bay two versus Rams four. Uh, I'm taking the Rams and uh, I know it's, you're always stupid if you're betting against Tom Brady. Uh, but the amount of pressures that happened against Tampa Bay, especially with the exiting of two of their top offensive linemen, especially one of the well, one is arguably one of the best offensive line in, offensive linemen in the NFL. Uh, there's added pressures on Tom Brady, so he had to get the ball out quick. And we see what that Rams defense did against Arizona. Uh, they're fast, they're vicious, and they're effective. So I am uh, I'm hoping that the Rams will be able to jump on the defensive back. And uh, once again, Matt Stafford can have himself a pretty successful game. He, he looked really good this last game. Um, didn't do anything spectacular, but just did, did what he had to do. Uh, it was a nice balance between the, uh, the rush and the pass. So I'm hoping they can continue that in, in Tampa Bay. So I'll take the Rams. Armin? You know, I'm going to be stupid and bet against Tom Brady as well. I'm picking the Rams for this game. Um, yeah, like you said, the – Von Miller and Aaron Donald coming off the edge against Tom Brady. That's a, that's a pretty scary thought for the Buccaneers, I think. And uh, 
it this is going to be a, a game that might actually be won by defense considering that both of these teams are potent offenses it might actually be a, a defensively won game which will be interesting they need four net back bad i think just like a, a viable option that can still catch the ball too but um zach your your choice uh, I'm taking the Rams as well. Um, believe it or not, I have watched a uh, a game or two in uh, Tom Brady's career, and uh, just one, just one or two, yeah, one or two, yeah. And uh, I think it's been well noted that one of his biggest weaknesses, if not his biggest weakness, is uh, pressure up the middle of the offensive line. Um, so that is pinning Aaron Donald against the potential backup center with uh, Jensen being out. So that's certainly a mis- mismatch. Um, it likely would have been a mismatch even with Jensen at center, but now it's just even more of a mismatch. And missing Werfs is also a huge loss for Tampa. Probably uh, those two losses, if they're out, are, are bigger than missing Brown and, uh, and Godwin, I think. Well, even their backup there, that uh, was the backup tackle that Wells, I think is the name too. Even he's nicked up, and he he only played limited snaps too. Not that he's the the answer by any means, but now you're looking at a third string tackle. It's right. it's uh, that's danger down territory. So, like I talked about last week, if you're gonna beat, I talked about Philadelphia, possibly a trap game there. If you're gonna beat them, you want to beat them when they're obviously not healthy. And I definitely think that Tampa Bay left that game more banged up than they entered. So. It opens the door for an opportunity for the Rams. And I mean, they made a statement against Arizona. So if you, if you're going to make a statement against Tampa Bay, I think that definitely puts, uh, puts you in contention for, for honors, because once again, I think, I think the Rams are a team too. That I think a lot of people slept on, like you look at them, they, they had a chance to have the two seed lost a pivotal game against San Francisco, dropped them from the two down to the four. Uh, so that's where Tampa Bay jumped from that uh, jumped up into that two spot. So I think a lot of people jumped off the Rams bandwagon, but um We'll say, like once I like I said, once they start getting things clicking, they can be uh they can be a dynamic bunch. So um I'm I'm just hopeful. I I loved seeing Stafford finally get his first career uh playoff W. It took him well, well enough games, <laughs> too many seasons to do it. So I did appreciate watching that. Actually, Armin was coaching basketball. I went to the gym there, so I had the game on the headset and I was working out watching it at the at the gym there. So I, I got to make sure, make sure you, I got to watch the Monday night there. So hopefully I can catch some more action with him on the Sunday. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, now heading into our last segment of the episode, we got our DFS wildcard weekend recap, and then we're now entering into the divisional round. Uh, so last week on the wildcard weekend, uh, we all partook in our matchups and I'm going to happily announce that I was the winner and I was, not confident after the first set of games there. Uh, but I took first place with 95.98 points. Uh, Zach came in second with 91.66 points. And Armin, unfortunately, due to Cam Akers penalties, uh, found himself in the at the end there at 84.18. So Armin gets to uh, spin the wheel here. Uh, I don't know if we're going to spin the wheel uh, for every single matchup, or maybe we'll keep tally of how many, whoever tallies the most last. We're still trying to figure out exactly how we want to do this, uh, but we got a couple weekends here. Uh, regardless, Armin's got one one dash against his name. So we'll see if Armin can um, redeem himself in the divisional weekend of DFS. 
Uh, so we'll uh, we'll go through our lineup. So we'll, first of all, we'll we'll go through our quarterbacks. Armin, who you who are you going under center here, and for how many dollars? All right, my uh, first seventy seven hundred dollars here. I am using it on Joey Burrow. Um, I'm going with uh, Cincinnati's going to stay hot here. Um, he's a little bit cheaper and looking to try and get into the win column here. I got to go a little contrarian from the other guys and uh, stick with that Cincinnati pick and, and use it in my DFS as well. Um, they're, they're a passing team. They're, they try to run the ball, but they find more success through the air. And Joe, Joe Burrow's that leader, and he's going to get me uh, some pretty good points this week. It'll be his week 16, 17 miracle two weeks from, uh, from the regular season again. That'd be bananas in playoffs. That'd be <laughs> unreal. Uh, Zach, who do you got under center? So I am spending up quite a bit compared to last week. Um, I picked Josh Allen, who is going for 8,800. Um, I just think his rushing floor, um, as well as his passing, give him a really high ceiling. Um, and he's a player that I think has the potential to lead, uh, or rather be a top point scorer again this week. I'm just pulling up uh, the thing here. I'm trying to find out what the, um, like the viable options, like I think all the quarterbacks were pretty expensive here for the most part, like obviously the top tier, like I was, wasn't going to go Rogers. That was uh, obviously pretty ridiculous. Uh, try and try and spend up that much. But when I look at some of the quarterbacks, I ended up going pretty low in the sense that um, I didn't want to really start Garoppolo or Lance or any other true backups. Uh, but Allen and Mahomes and Rogers, they were quite pricey, like um, like Zach had mentioned. So I ended up going down to the lowest viable option I wanted to start. Um, and I went with Ryan Tannehill uh, for $7,300. Uh, I'm taking Tennessee to beat Cincinnati. And um, I didn't want to spend a whole heck of a lot on the quarterback position because uh, I wanted to spend a lot of a lot of dollars elsewhere. And, and Tannehill is definitely capable of getting the job done. He doesn't need to do anything extraordinary he can get it done on with his legs uh but coming off the bye and having a healthy receiving core and possibly derrick henry back i think we've seen well i shouldn't say we think i've seen enough times with the derrick henry play action uh that's where ryan Tannehill thrives and if uh if henry is back this i think is going to be a sneaky play so uh Tannehill at seventy three hundred dollars uh probably the cheapest option i would like to put in my lineup so that's where i'm going to go uh armin let's hear your uh your running backs your two running backs there all right. Before I say my uh, two running backs here, I just want to point out that all three of us went with a different strategy for QB. So it'll be interesting to see what pays off here. Um, we have one guy paying out for it. And Zach, I'm hitting the middle of the stream trying to find good value here. And Jordan is doing the, the bargain shopping on his QB. So I wanted, to go, I wanted to go Stafford back to back, but that Tampa Bay defense still scares me a little bit. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, so my RBs, I kind of sticking with last week because you know what? Uh, my RBs last week, I just had dumb bad luck with a fumble from Daryl Henderson or Williams that benched him for the rest of the game after one carry. And then Akers getting like 50, 60 yards, maybe even more pulled back because of holding calls. Um, I'm not going with Williams again. I think he's in the doghouse for good now, um, especially after fumbling in the playoffs. 
So I went with AJ Dillon for my first running back of Green Bay. Um, I picked him because, uh, as we were all saying, Green Bay should fly away with this game. It should be well in hand for quite a while. And we know from the regular season that they like to use AJ Dillon to, to close out games when they have a lead. They, they run Dillon and they pound it up the middle and they wear out that, that uh, other team, the other team's defense and try and run the clock and just milk it. So that is why I'm picking Dillon. And then Akers, we've talked enough about him. He's looking electric. He's looking good. He's clearly the guy in, in, in the Rams backfield to have right now. And he is still wildly cheap at $5,700. Um, yeah. And Dylan, for just so you guys know, is $6,100. So um, a little bit more expensive than Acres, but uh, not as expensive as uh, some of the other options that I think uh, Dylan is just as good as an option as uh, the guys that are $1,000 more than him. Zach, let's, uh, let's hear your running backs. So, uh, just like Armand, I, I'm also taking uh, Cam Akers. Um, very impressed with um, his showing uh, yesterday evening, Monday evening, um, and the value that he presents was really good. And it kind of freed up a few extra dollars that uh, allowed me some flexibility in some other spots, which I really liked. Um, so Cam Akers at 5,700, and then um, I'm trying to start. Uh, trying to start building a stack here with, with the Buffalo skill players to go along with Josh Allen. Uh, I'm taking Devin Singletary um, for 7,200. Somebody that uh, over the past couple of podcasts, I've been very impressed with um, somebody that I think is uh, possibly coming to uh, coming into his own as a member of the Buffalo bills. And uh, I hope we'll continue to uh, see the volume in the run game and the targets in the past game to uh, pay off for me. Yeah. Much the same as you guys. I'm going with cam makers too. Like that value is just too good to give up. The fact that he's actually cheaper than AJ Dillon is shocking. <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe that. So I put him in there and I figured it'd be a no brainer. Everybody else had him in there. Like you said, 5,700 for somebody to lead, lead that, uh, lead that room where how good he looked in the, in the wild card game. I mean, it is against Tampa Bay's run defense, which does scare me a bit, but for that cheap, it's definitely worth the, worth the gamble. And then I spent uh, $7,300 on Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell had a awesome game in the wild card game and uh, I'm looking to build off that in green Bay. Uh, I can't see Garoppolo getting this game done in the air. So I think they're going to try and have to get the game game solidified early on the ground. If they have any chance, and Elijah Mitchell does find himself in that receiving back role a little bit down with the check downs as well, too. So uh, it is a little bit more expensive for the running backs, but I wasn't willing to pay up. And I think if uh, if they really have a chance, they're going to have to force feed him often and early. So taking a bit of a gamble there uh, at my running back position. Um, Armin, your three wide receivers. All right. Uh, with my three wide receivers here, um, this is uh, I spent good money on two of them and then I went a bit of a bargain on my third um first one Devonte adams at eight thousand seven hundred dollars um he's a bit more expensive but he's a bit cheaper than than paying up for cooper cup and i think he is still cheaper than debo samuel as well um and he is one of the best receivers in the league i know i said green bay is probably gonna put up a lead here and be coasting with aj Dillon, but adams is gonna be 
um, the guy that uh, gives him that lead to, to start the game. So look to have him start hot and then kind of taper off in the game, but he's going to put up enough points to, to make him a great fantasy option for this week. And then I went with two Bengals receivers, kept uh, keep it going with the Bengals, going a little off, uh, off to the beaten path from you guys again. Um, hoping to, to win big here with Higgins and Chase. Um, Chase, is he's the guy, right? He's the guy who gets the targets in Cincy more than anyone else. But we've seen in the past, too, that Higgins can, can put up some pretty explosive numbers. Inconsistent. I'm banking on after a week down and Chase being the guy for a week. Um, the team they're playing here is going to focus in a bit more on Chase. And that'll open up some lanes for, for Higgins, and then they'll both be able to eat. Zach, let's hear yours. So the the savings that I was able to come up with for, for buying in on Cam Akers allowed me a lot of flexibility here um, with my wide receivers. Um, the first wide receiver that I, I knew I wanted right off the hop, no matter the cost, was Stephon Diggs to pair with Josh Allen to really solidify that stack. And he's going for 7,800. Um, and then I was able to grab a receiver for relatively equal value. Um, I think in AJ Brown for $7,600. Um, interestingly enough, I noticed while uh, submitting the ticket that uh, they were the only two receivers for in the 7,000 mark. Everybody was either 6,000 or and below or 8,000 and above. So um, I think they could both easily be in that 8,000 club and to get them both for 7,000, I was pretty happy or in the 7,000s, I was quite happy. Um, and then towards, after I made my ticket, I was able to rejig it and spend 8,300 on Mike Evans. Um, Evans is somebody that I initially had in my ticket for, for this past weekend. Uh, last minute change for Debo Samuel and uh, lucky it didn't bite me in the butt because Evans had a huge week. And uh, even though I don't think the, the Bucks will win, I think Evans still has the potential to have a huge week. Yeah, I, I spent up to, I was talking about kind of a similar philosophy as uh, the other two, as uh, much the same as Armin, I took Devontae Adams. Same reason, cheaper option than Cooper Cup, but has the potential to have an electric week. Um, I also took Debo Samuel, like Armin mentioned. He was expensive. He was a little bit cheaper than Adams. But uh, taking A.J. Brown, uh, kind of the same as um, Zach had mentioned, I wanted the stack with Tannehill. A.J. Brown being a significantly cheaper option against a uh, defense that gives up a lot of passing yards. So I wanted that Tannehill Brown stack. And uh, so I, my receivers are Devonte Adams at 8,700 AJ Brown at 7,600 and Debo Samuel at 8,600. So a little bit of carryover between the other two's teams. So I'm looking like the only one that took Debo Samuel. I got a few uh, San Francisco options here, but uh, I'm just hoping that uh, they can carry a little bit of the load here and, and sneak my way into um, hopefully not last place. Uh, Armin, your tight end. You know, I'm I'm very interested to see how you do with uh, the uh, stack of uh, San Fran guys, considering how much we've talked about how much Green Bay is going to take over that game and dominate it. 
Uh, my tight end, I went with Travis Kelsey. I paid up for my tight end. I didn't want any room for error here. Didn't want to risk uh, risk picking a, a dud dud week and having a dud week with my tight end. So paid up, and I am just gonna sit back and relax, knowing that my tight end will at least put me up a respectable amount of points. Zach. So I was after spending up for my receivers, I knew that I'd have to go uh, bargain basement shopping for a tight end. And I was pleasantly surprised to find uh, George Kittle sitting down at the bottom of the uh, clearance section, I suppose for <laughs> 6,400. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that over the past four games, he's, he hasn't exceeded 30 yards receiving. Um, and just one of those games, he's had over five receptions. Um, it's definitely not been smooth sailing uh, the past month for, for Kittle, but uh, he's in an offense that I think is going to need to score um, in order for them to keep up with the Packers. And I'm, I feel much more confident uh, riding with Kittle for a pretty good value than I do for uh, with some of the other tight ends, especially the ones that I'd have to pay up for and likely really alter my, my lineup. Um, and Kittle, somebody that at the drop of a hat could easily put up a 13 reception, 151 yard night um, quite easily, I think so. Um, I think Kittle, the juice is worth the squeeze, and that gamble is one that uh, could easily pay off, I think. I am really gambling here, boys. <laughs> um, same as you guys. I didn't have much to spend, and I had significantly even less to spend after spending up on Debo Samuel. Um, but I'm relying on Ryan Tannehill. I wanted the stack. I think we're going to be able to give up some points here in the passing, especially if Derrick Henry's there. I, I'm relying on that play action. And what screens more play action than uh, than red zones to tight ends? You 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 run that uh, run the ball play action to Derrick Henry. You you roll out the other side, and there's uh, there's Anthony Fersker sitting there. So uh, for that price, I didn't want to go any lower than that. And I actually think he's a bit of a sneaky play at 5200. Uh, he is um, for the last couple of seasons uh, had a had a nose for the end zone, especially um, like I said, talking about that play action. Um, it is a risky play in the sense that he easily could put up a goose egg here. Um, but I really wanted to put a lot of money on my receivers, which left me bargain hunting a little bit. So I did spend down on my tight end position and I want $5,200 on Anthony Fersker. Uh, Armand, your flex. Ooh, actually, I just saw this. I like this take. A little double yeah. down action. I like it. So, uh, yeah, my flex uh, for $5,400, I to pick up Tyler Higby, uh, Los Angeles Rams tight end. Um, they like to target him in the red zone a lot. Um, he, he's one of the, the go-to options in the red zone. Um, so it's a, it's a high, high ceiling pick where he could go off, but uh, it is also a risky pick in that he, he could end the game with very little fantasy points. But uh, uh, I went for, for that, uh, that high ceiling there I, uh, in my flex spot at $5,400. I think that is the, one of the better values you can get. And Zach. Um, so after really spending, uh, spending the bag, I was left with 
less than $5,000 for my flex. And that put me in the Juwan Jennings, Scotty Miller, Sam G. P. Ryan uh, section of the supermarket. And uh, that's not where you want to be shopping. Um, so I remembered uh, a few weeks ago, the Buffalo Bills had a receiver by the name of Isaiah McKenzie, absolutely slaughter uh, Miles Bryant, a defensive back for the New England Patriots on Christmas Day or or maybe on Boxing Day. Um, he had like 11 receptions and 182 yards. Um, that was by far a career high. He hasn't come close to even coming near those numbers since. But uh, Isaiah McKenzie for $4,800 to pair with Josh Allen. Um, he's somebody that does have uh, legit track star speed. Somebody that I think if he gets his hands on the ball, could take it to the house. Um, this is the type of guy that I'm not expecting anything out of. Um, I would be stoked with like one catch for five yards to give me one point. That would be great. But uh, <laughs> he has that touchdown upside, I think. This one, uh, I won same thing. I didn't have much left over here, but this was somebody's name that I wanted to throw in. I think I think it's a sneaky play. Um, and I went after Van Jefferson for $5,500. Uh, everybody knows that Tampa Bay is, is next to impossible to touch on the ground game. Um, so you, you want options that are going to be able to pass a ball, especially if I think uh, the Rams are going to win this game. Um, so if they're going to win the game, I think they're going to have to get a lot of it done through the air. And, um, and Van Jefferson has a knack for finding his way behind secondaries. And Tampa Bay's secondary is one of the weaker ones in the NFL. Uh, and I know OBJ has stepped up his game and become a reliable target for Matthew Stafford. And that's a reflection, obviously, in how much he costed this week in comparison to last week. But Van Jefferson, uh, like we talked about at the midseason uh, podcast, he has the ability to step up and make big plays for that team when they need it. And for $5,500, there wasn't a lot of other options that have that explosiveness like Van Jefferson. So I took Van Jefferson 5500 and I was left with uh, – not a lot for my defense once again, but we'll, uh, we'll hear Armin's first. All right. My defense, I predicted them to win again, Cincinnati, um, you know, out of the cheaper defenses, I thought Tennessee might be the offense that, uh, that could be stopped a little bit better than, uh, say San Fran trying to stop green Bay or, uh, or the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers or Rams trying to stop each other, or Buffalo and Kansas City trying to stop each other. So um, they they were the cheapest defense, and also the one that uh, that I felt you know might actually have a shot at giving me a few points. I don't expect anything huge, but uh, at least uh, at least not negative points out of this defense. <laughs> Yeah, touche. Um, Zach, your defense? Uh, I am also taking Cincinnati for 3400 They were the lead, like they were the cheapest defense uh, available. And coincidentally, they were the only ones I could afford. So <laughs> you got to have a defense, apparently, eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I guess in comparison, I spent up a little bit. Um, not a whole heck of a lot um, in a sense that I targeted the, tennis, uh, the Tennessee Titans and they would be, I guess, middling of the pack for defenses. But 
Um, I'm putting my money in my mouth because I think Tennessee beats Cincinnati. Uh, I think a lot of the other games have potentials to be shootouts, which uh, doesn't pair well for your defense, obviously. And uh, if this is one that I think the Tennessee Titans are going to win, well, why not take their defense? Uh, for $4,100, they're about $700 more than Cincinnati. But um, if I'm stacking a lot of Tennessee players, then I don't really want to take Cincinnati's defense as I'm hoping uh, Tennessee's going to pile on the points. So uh, I'm going to take the Titans for 4,100 and that wraps up my team. So uh, we'll go in order here. we got Armin's team uh, with uh, Joe Burrow, AJ Dillon, Cam Akers, uh, Devontae Adams, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Travis Kelsey, uh, Tyler Higby, and Cincinnati defense. we got Zach's team with Josh Allen, Devin Singletary, Cam Akers, Mike Evans, Stephon Diggs, AJ Brown, George Kittle, Isaiah McKenzie, and the Cincinnati Bengals. And then my team with Ryan Tannehill, Elijah Mitchell, Cam Akers, Devontae Adams, AJ Brown, Debo Samuel, Anthony Fersker, Van Jefferson, and the Tennessee Titans. So we got our divisional weekend matchup ahead of us. I uh, guess if you guys want to join us with, as well, uh, feel free to screenshot your teams and send them to us as well. And obviously this is a new, a new sense of uh, fantasy sports as we're getting into it, a little bit different than our, than our regular stuff. Uh, it was fantasy sports nonetheless, and it gives us a little bit extra to pay attention to. So we're, we're in it like a dirty shirt and uh, feel free to join us as well. Uh, we got big games on Saturday, big games on Sunday. And uh, unless the boys got something else to add, I think that'll do it for episode number 37. What do you guys figure? Yeah, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you're enjoying the DFS world. If you've gotten into it now that the regular season has ended, I know I, I started getting back into it now. I didn't touch it until, uh, fantasy season ended and now i'm uh, back to playing it and it's a uh, it's a lot of fun getting to pick uh the players i want to target we have uh one more charity opportunity coming up here so if you didn't make yourselves into the uh, charity bracket uh don't sweat it we got one more charity opportunity coming with the super bowl uh february 13th is right around the corner here so i uh, enjoy the divisional weekend two games saturday two games sunday uh enjoy some good football and uh, we'll see you guys same time next week on episode number 38. Take care, everybody. Talk soon.